Hello, welcome back to Franklin Covey's C-Suite Conversations with Scott Miller, our now new and second podcast for the Franklin Covey Company. I'm your host each week where we interview different people from the C-Suite, from all different types of organizations and industries, for-profit, not-for-profit, global organizations, entrepreneurs that started perhaps with a small dream and now have built multinational global companies with hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars impacting lives around the world. Today, I am delighted to announce that our guest is Kara Golden, the CEO and founder of Hint Water. And it's, it's more than just a water company. We'll talk about that, but that's how I came to know it. Kara, welcome to C-Suite Conversations. Thank you for having me. Well, perhaps first and um, most presently, presently, you've authored a new book called Undaunted. It basically is a story of your professional journey, the launching of this massive brand known as Hint. And of course, I, when I offered to interview you, you were gracious enough to accept. And then quite like your brand, the next day arrived to my house here in Park, uh, Park City, Utah, a whole box of swag. It was all of the Hint products and uh, Hint hats and t-shirts and, and chapstick and toys for the dogs. And then my wife went out the very same day and bought a whole case of Hint water. Like countless millions of people, I've heard of your brand, but hadn't yet been exposed to it. So first, thank you for the swag. And I'm a ringing endorser now for your brand. I thought that cherry was my favorite flavor until I discovered blackberry. They all come in a mixed um, case. And I uh, highly evangelize the, the flavor of your product. I thoroughly have enjoyed it. Kara, welcome. Will you take a few minutes and sort of walk us through a bit of your journey? Your book, Undaunted, talks about that, but talk about what, what led you, more than just wanting to cure your fixation on diet, diet drinks, what led you to found this company? I think it really boils down to wanting to do something that I had, I had solved a problem for myself in my kitchen around uh, my Diet Coke my diet sweetener addiction by just creating a product that made water taste better. And I think more than anything, I wanted to help people solve their own challenge around this. I figured that if there are industries, if there are categories within its industries, like the beverage industry, uh, that are really focused on things like diet, um, that maybe aren't as great for people as as maybe people think that they are. Uh, that's what that's how I had felt. Um, that just by solving the problem, just by creating a product around it, that maybe more and more people would switch and wake up. And so, I guess it really boils down to wanting to help people. I mean, back almost 17 years ago now, no one was talking about mission-based companies, right? Mm. Purpose-driven companies. But I think when that term came out, so many people reached out to me and said, that's exactly what you've been doing. And, you know, I think anytime you get an opportunity to start a company or work for a company that's doing something that really helps to solve a problem in people's lives, maybe something as important as health, you got to go do it, right? You got to go. That's part of your, your purpose. That's part of your mission. And it makes you feel really great when you hear that you're doing something that is clearly hard for people to do without your product. Your passion for your business is palpable 
and Contagious. Kara, one of the reasons why we chased you to be our fourth conversation on C-Suite Conversations was I think your journey is very relatable. It's very identifiable. You know, unlike some uh, CEOs that went to an Ivy League school, you went to a a, a, a university all of us could, could, could have attended. You worked hard, you graduated, you got out, you had a, 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 a career journey that was actually very similar to mine, just sort of doggedly determined and showing up for interviews and taking whatever job you could as an administrative assistant. Would you take a few minutes and just reorient our listeners to kind of what happened to you out of college and why that determination built in you this drive, this perseverance? that you very clearly deployed when you launched Hint. So I always led with this idea of wanting to do something every day that I enjoyed, not just in, in getting a job after college, but just, I mean, I wanted to, to enjoy life, right? When I, I always thought even about sports the same way that, you know, I, we had to play a sport in, in my house and, uh, and I was going to, there were lots of different sports, but you were going to pick the one that you really enjoyed doing. And so when I thought about getting a job after college, the job that I really wanted, which was working in media, working in the publishing industry, initially thinking that I wanted to work at Fortune magazine, they weren't coming to my campus. And so I thought, well, I'll just look up in the magazine masthead where they uh, are located and figure out if I can get an interview. Isn't that what everyone does? You, you reach out to the people they're not coming to you, so you go to them. And so that's what I did. I, I tried to reach out to Fortune. I actually got a response back from the then managing editor, Marshall Loeb, uh, and I bought a plane ticket to go and, and meet with them. Uh, little did I know that that interview wouldn't work out, but there was another one in the building, as you mentioned, as an executive assistant working for Time Magazine. I fully thought when I took that job, I didn't necessarily want to work at Time Magazine, but what I wanted to do was get my foot in the door, work in the building, so eventually I could get to Fortune Magazine. And uh, that role led me to be recruited out to a... I guess then would have, would have been known as a late stage startup, um, what it would be termed today, a company called CNN uh, that was kind of taking what was going on at, at Time Magazine real time into 24 hour news. But again, it was 40% of the country uh, had CNN at the time, uh, clearly a different culture uh, than what I was experiencing at, at Time, much more of a startup um, seat of your pants, um, wild, wild west kind of environment. And then after that, uh, ended up uh, going into uh, tech in Silicon Valley, moved here with my fiance at the time, now my husband for almost 26 years. Uh, and so I think more than anything, it was a leaving my role um, as a student. In, in Arizona um, in order to go find what I wanted to do was, uh, I guess it, it, it seems strange to people. It seemed quite normal to me to go out and find something that I really enjoyed doing. But I think that the other piece that I wanna mention is that my 
one experience led to the other experience too, that I never would have thought I would have been working in television. I never would have thought I would have been working in tech or frankly starting my own company uh, in beverage or mission-based company either. But for me, it was really a lesson in going out and finding what you're looking for, uh, recognizing what you're curious about, recognizing what you're passionate about. I think everything that I've ever been uh, very engaged with, um, wanting to do uh, long-term, I think is, is something that I, I didn't know exactly how to do it. Right. I, there was always this white space of uh, that I had to go and figure out. And and I think that that is something that most leaders would speak to today as just absolutely critical. It's 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 about picking something that you're curious and interested about enough so that you want to go and figure out the problem, go figure out the puzzle. Uh, even though you aren't quite sure where the pieces go or if you even have all the pieces. That is, that is the key thing that I think uh, is so important for uh, people to recognize when they're looking for that next opportunity. Kara, I think therein lies a great story, and that is to your relatability. Like many of us that have an entrepreneurial spirit or have a side hustle that we're, we're cooking, but our friends or our family or our bosses think it's not a very good idea or we're finding some resistance, you have a great story to share about how you and your husband were talking about this business and how you were passionate about solving a problem that had yet to be solved. It was, I think, primarily shelf life. Can you share the conversation you had with a beverage executive and how perhaps gracious but not inspiring they were and how you continued to move through a problem that you felt needed to be solved. And now you're selling north of you know, 200 plus million dollars worth of product every year because you, you continued to persevere in the face of resistance and lack of information to solve a problem. Sure, well, setting up the situation a little bit, we, uh, you know, I come from a successful role in tech and I was, I was really starting to doubt that I would be able to make this company work. And uh, I had gotten it into some stores in San Francisco, but I was getting pressure to distribute it outside of the Bay Area where I live, uh, which is the good news. I didn't know how to do it outside of shipping cases uh, through the mail, uh, which is pretty hard uh, through, through uh, in, you know, in bulk of, of any sort. But in addition to that, I was having my existing accounts share that I needed to have a longer shelf life. Otherwise, they were uh, probably going to pull the product. So I really felt like I was, it was coming at me from all different directions. And so a friend that I was sharing uh, the decision that I might possibly shut the company down. I had uh, shared that, you know, I didn't know what to do about distribution, but also the shelf life. And so she introduced me to somebody at uh, Coca-Cola who she had met actually on an airplane, didn't know super well, but said to him, listen, you should meet her. She's getting traction. She has a couple of questions in around shelf life, around distribution. Maybe you can help. 
He agreed. We got on the phone. I was very prepared. 15 minutes into the conversation, that's when he said to me, uh, sweetie, Americans love sweet. This product isn't going anywhere. I know you got it into a few stores in the Bay Area where you live, but that's as far as it's going. What people really want is a product that has zero calories. At the time, uh, diet drinks were about 10 calories. And so he said, uh, you know, this isn't going to go any further. I was still stuck on the word sweetie. I had never been called sweetie before. But I also felt like I was getting an incredible experience of hearing somebody who was a major executive inside of a uh, you know, multi-billion dollar, well-known uh, company like Coca-Cola was sharing a strategy around how he thought the customer was being serviced what they needed to do in order to keep this consumer. Now, I had had my own personal experience. I'd been a Diet Coke drinker for years and had shifted away from Diet Coke because I realized that it had a lot of ingredients um, that I didn't like, but also that diet sweeteners weren't getting me as healthy as I wanted. So I had seen a very different consumer in myself uh, that I really believed was, if they weren't here, they were coming. And I thought, when I hung up the phone, it was a pleasant enough conversation, even though he called me sweetie. Um, but I thought, I have a choice. And this is the case for many people in life. You always have choices. Hopefully, you don't eliminate those choices too quickly. But I thought, I have a choice. And that choice is I listened to him and quit. Um, he wasn't offering to uh, distribute my product or uh, teach me anything around uh, shelf life. But the other option was to put the gas on because what I had experienced and frankly had experienced in a couple of the previous companies that I had worked for is that the large companies, maybe the multi-billion dollar companies, they don't necessarily understand what's coming. They don't understand innovation. They don't understand uh, the vision um, of what the consumer needs. Instead, they're so busy servicing their customer, maybe defending a product, maybe defending an entire uh, company and purpose for, for being. And so what I was talking about was brand new. Uh, we not only at Hint developed a new product and a new company, but an entirely new category. And so that was, for him to actually pay attention to what I was saying was actually throwing in the towel on an entire company that he was working at and an entire team that he had said, this is what we need to be doing, which was really difficult. And so that's when I decided that I'm going to put my foot on the pedal and keep going with what I'm doing and find those customers out there, find more ways to actually get our product out there. Hopefully I don't get kicked out of stores before I figure out a longer shelf life. Uh, and, and I hoped, and I think this is definitely the case that when you see those large companies who are sharing that, sweetie, you've got it all wrong or, uh, you know, maybe you don't have the right idea. It doesn't necessarily mean 
that you're wrong and they're right, what it means is that it's going to take them a little while to turn their ship around. They can do it, but it might take a little while for it to happen and convince a lot of people, unfold what they've grown over the years, whatever it is. And so staying the course, staying focused, servicing consumers, continuing to find those consumers that believe what you're selling, whether it's a service or a physical product is really the key at that moment. Not that you don't listen to what they're saying, but use that as a learning experience to understand what you may be up against in the future. I think it's such a valuable story. It's actually captivating in your book, Undaunted, but it really speaks to anyone who's got a passion to create something, to fix something, who they have a problem in their life and they think others do as well, and they're looking at perhaps disrupting the the current industry to listen, but not necessarily be demotivated by someone who might be very entrenched into the traditional thinking of their industry. Uh, Kara, like me and others listening to this podcast or watching it, you had a fairly traditional career in terms of you know, uh, cool companies and brands, and you started at the very bottom, if you will, as an uh, administrative assistant like I did and worked your way up into key leadership roles, and then you became an entrepreneur. And now you are the CEO of a multi-hundred million dollar brand that is exponentially exponentiating in its growth and its influence. I'm guessing non-consumption is your biggest competition in terms of people who don't yet know how great Hint is. What behaviors have you had to leave behind? Things that served you well as an employee, as a manager, as perhaps a mid-level leader, that now as the CEO and face of a large company, what have you had to leave behind and perhaps learn new in the C-suite? I think the most important thing for any leader to recognize, and particularly when you're growing a brand new company and a new category in in the case of Hint is that when opportunities come around, you have the ability as a small, nimble company to take advantage of those opportunities, maybe more so than uh, larger companies, because again, uh, they've got to, there's a lot of paperwork. They've got to figure out which teams should be working out, whatever it is, they've got their own hurdles internally that they have to get through. I think that it's important to have processes in place. I've definitely worked inside of large companies where I've seen lots of processes, but you have to make sure that you can actually react appropriately depending on the situation. And I think that the thing that I think about too is, which is really a competitive advantage for people who are home growing a a company is that stuff is gonna come up along the way. Um, Pandemics will come up where no one's had experience in figuring out exactly uh, what you should do. How do you manage employees? How during a pandemic we're trying to homeschool their their, kids, how do, you, uh, uh, how do you deal with a factory that is uh, FDA regulated, uh, that goes into pandemic status, that you know, when most of your other CEO friends are, are 
not really dealing with the exact same situation. You have to wake up every single morning and try. And it really boils down to being okay and humbled by the fact that you may not have all the answers, but when your team sees you trying, when your shareholders see you trying, those are the things that ultimately lead to success in any situation, whether it's a pandemic or, or, or not. I think that that is the thing that, that so many leaders uh, show that successful leaders is that if they can actually uh, keep keep moving and keep trying, um, show their authentic self, uh, and and at times even roll up their own sleeves and jump in and explain that you might not ha have all the answers, but you're going to try this way. Your job in certain situations may actually be not only to be helping alongside those employees, uh, but also to be able to say it's time to turn the ship, right? It's time to try something new uh, because that's the most, that's the hardest thing I think for people that really separates leaders from, from non-leaders is to be able to actually say it's time let's go somewhere different and here's why. You know, speaking of going somewhere different, I'm sure you were faced with the opportunity for brand extensions, different lines of product other than just flavored water. I interviewed uh, Amy Errett, the founder of Madison Reed recently. She was our third interview. And of course they've built this, you know, massive home hair coloring company that's based on the premise that Primarily women want to color their hair at home. And of course it exploded during the pandemic in a positive way, but yet Madison Reed right now has 51 coloring locations. You can go and have your hair colored on their way to 71 and probably more. So the whole premise of their product has been uh, you know, built upon home care, but actually they find that people use their product more in cities where they actually can go get their hair colored both in a salon, but also use it at home. As you have wrestled with the Jim Collins idea around, you know, flywheel and hedgehog and, you know, making, you know, prudent uh, bets on other products, what has that been like for Hint when you're known, of course, for this remarkable disruption of the industry for flavored water with no calories and no artificial sugars and things, but yet you have certainly some other things that you offer. What's that been like? It's a really interesting question, actually. I, I I was just talking to somebody about this yesterday. I think the thing that is so interesting as you look at products and services that work, B2C products that work closely with consumers in particular, when, when you are building up trust with a consumer around health, as we had done with, with water, um, you, this is a problem. Health is something that is so critical to all. As I always say, when you don't have your health, uh, you recognize how valuable it is, mm. right? I, I think that, you know, if nothing else great came out of the pandemic, so many more people are realizing it 
today, that health is something that is, maybe you don't think about it until you don't have it. And so I think that the most important thing for people to recognize is that when you're solving problems for these consumers around something that they found hard before they found you, that they are really caring about, that is an opportunity to solve more problems for that consumer. And sometimes the consumer may have seen what you were doing, but maybe they didn't feel like they needed your product. Maybe for example, people had seen Hint, uh, maybe their, their spouse or their friend drank Hint, maybe it was stocked in their offices, but they were still enjoying their Diet Coke or some other product. Maybe they drank plain water, that's fine too. Uh, but then they see a product that they have been looking for in a category that they have been looking for a better alternative uh, to maybe what they had been faced with. So sunscreen. So when we launched sunscreen a few years ago, uh, that was to solve a problem around health as well. And, it, and I had recognized that the reason why I wasn't wearing sunscreen, um, and, and I got, had a scare, a health scare, I had, uh, I had uh, some skin cancer on my nose and I needed to wear sunscreen. Um, I didn't wear sunscreen because it was either too white, it was itchy. I had come across an ingredient called oxybenzone that I didn't really think was that great to put on my skin. And I didn't like the smell. I didn't understand why things were either unscented or tropical. I wanted grapefruit. I wanted scents that I really enjoyed, scents that we were using in our water. So I created these sunscreens, again, for myself. Uh, but I thought, if I can actually take them out to consumers, maybe they'll like them too. We have a lot of consumers that are really interested in getting and staying healthy. It was fascinating because when we launched Hint sunscreen, we launched it in January. We had to get FDA approval. All sunscreens are regulated by the FDA. We got the, we got the approval in December. So we went out to our list of direct-to-consumer uh, people who, who buy Hint online and asked them if, if they'd like to buy a bottle of sunscreen for 20 bucks. We weren't even giving it away in January, which is not the best time unless like, maybe you're in Florida uh, to, to buy sunscreen. And we had over a 50% response rate on that product. We weren't at the beaches sampling it. The people who bought it were our trusted consumers for water and they wanted other products and were willing to listen to us because we had built up that trust. So while it seemed crazy to many that we were launching an entirely new category, those people who were saying that might not have seen the need that other consumers we're seeing. And the last thing I'll say on that topic is that when you solve a problem, then maybe there's some people that enter, I call it, through sunscreen. Maybe they didn't even know that we were a water company first. When you build up their trust in that category, then they come back into yeah. uh, the original category. Yeah. And so it works in lots of different directions. And I'm sure 
uh, other companies, other category or other industries would say the same thing like Amy at, at uh, Madison and Reed. It's the same thing. Uh, think back across your career, which is clearly not over. Uh, great things for to come for you and the Hint family. Um, what would you describe as a key moment of truth in your professional career? Perhaps it was an issue with an investor or you had some litigation or there was an employee issue or maybe it was the pandemic. Maybe it was the call with the gentleman from the other beverage company. Can you think about what was a key moment of truth? You had to make a choice. So you were faced with a daunting opportunity or challenge and what did that look like? What was that? And how did you deal with it? How did you work through it? Yeah, so many come to mind, but I'll, I'll uh, speak in particular to the pandemic. I think that no one knew how to manage a company during a pandemic. We were a product that we needed to help our our stores, we needed to help consumers by getting out there uh, and merchandising on shelves. Um, there was, as you know, water products, uh, not just toilet paper and bleach were being uh, hoarded on shelves and we had to use uh, best practices, um, the best we could do in order to um, really keep up with what our responsibility was as a regulated company to uh, to be able to do that. So while I was sending those messages out to our employees, they were also turning on the news and hearing that uh, we went into, the entire country went into shelter in place, um, that they would be working from home, offices were closed, uh, but not us. We were actually gonna be out. And instead of actually, I felt very funny, uh, awkward, um, wrong about telling our team to, you're going out into the field. I know it's scary. Um, we're gonna give you hand sanitizers and gloves and masks and all that. But instead of actually stopping there and saying, you know, let me know how it goes, I, decided to go out with the team. And I think it's, it's in, in our, our C-suite, most of our C-suite was out there as well, uh, making sure that the team was not only uh, safe, which was the number one thing that we wanted to make sure that our employees were safe, but also it was at a time when not every industry was the same. Um, there was no roadmap to say this was the right thing to do, but instead it was figuring out, going out there with the team and seeing exactly what we could accomplish, um, but not doing it from 30,000 feet. Uh, that I think was the most critical thing that I didn't know how it was gonna turn out. Um, I didn't know what I would find. Um, things, for example, like uh, going into stores and figuring out that you could actually ask the managers if you could go in earlier into those stores um, versus actually waiting until they opened in order to merchandise shelves. It ends up when stores aren't open, there aren't a lot of people or customers. So 
the risk of actually getting sick um, from, this is in the early days of COVID, were, were a lot less um, risky. And so again, being able to act as being in it with the team, but also still being able to act as, as strategic. I think also coming at it from a place of, I had done every job in this company um, in the beginning, I, and I was willing and able to go back uh, to my roots to figure out how to be the most helpful, but also the most strategic and, uh, and really looking out for the entire team. Kara, thanks. Close us out with a glimpse at the future. I mean, you are uh, a wife of, of, of many decades. You are the mother of four children. You are a best-selling author now, an entrepreneur, CEO. What does the future for you and for Hint look like? So it's a super exciting time. I think, you know, more than anything, uh, I never thought that we would get to even the size company that we are today. Uh, and uh, I think continuing to help consumers and, and, you know, looking back on my life, I feel like that has been clearly a hint, my purpose. But I think when you find a way uh, to, to help a lot of consumers in the way that we've been able to just by helping them get healthy, helping them stay healthy, um, that's when you have the ability to be even that much bigger. There's tons of white space for, for Hint. Uh, we're only in the US today. And so I, I, my hope is that we can be global at some point soon. Kara, uh, thanks for your time today. Uh, my recommendation, again, I love the cherry, but I love blackberry more, and I haven't tried some of the other Good ones. Choice. So uh, honestly, I'm like a, I'm a convert. It took one drink out of it. I realized I like it refrigerated as opposed to off the shelf, but it's just fine. It's like, it's like you know, cold water versus room temperature water. But I thoroughly have enjoyed it and delighted that you joined us today on C-Suite Conversations. Great book. The book is Undaunted by Kara Golden. Thanks for joining us. And we wish the Hint family great growth and great safety through the pandemic. And thank you for what you are bringing to society in terms of great healthy options to meet people where they are increasingly passionate about their own personal health. Kara Golden, thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much. And we'll see you back here next week for a new conversation in the C-suite with Scott Miller.